0: for everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner. Welcome to the Sex Rap.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Sex Rap, our second episode. I'm Andrew and this is
2: Spring and we are uh, so excited. We are so second excited show. we're trying
1: not to talk over each other and failing. But
2: which We have each other on camera, so you'd think we'd be able to do some eye signals, but we're not so great at that yet.
1: Working on it. Maybe less Botox? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Um, so this is our second episode, and we're really excited to talk to you. And we're thinking, you know, this is the second time we're on the air. What should we talk about, and what did we come up with? Pubic hair. So, we thought we would talk about pubic hair and its removal for a little while, and we have quite a few questions to go over. Um, but, uh, why are we talking about pubic hair today, Spring?
2: Well, so pubic hair is something that comes up in the media quite a lot that people really like to talk about. Um, so recently, a story came out in the media um, just in December uh, 2016. And um, so they saw that somebody had published some new research, and the research uh, had pubic hair in it. So, of course, that hit the media and was a super exciting uh, thing to talk about. So the article that came out, well, several articles came out in the media, but um, the articles that came out in the media were talking about how pubic hair removal was linked to sexually transmitted infections.
1: So when you say linked, what do you mean? When the articles, I mean, so are they linked? Is there truth behind it? What's going on with that?
2: Well, what's interesting is that the articles in the media that we're reading uh, made it seem like if you were removing your pubic hair, that meant you had more STIs. That could be causing your levels of STIs and having and receiving, getting these STIs. Um But when we go back and we look at the actual article that was written, uh, we see that these things are only linked, meaning that they were occurring in some of the same people, but not that removing your pubic hair actually caused people to get an STI.
1: Right. Uh, Something more along the lines of people who are spending time making their pubic hair look better for partners might be more likely to be engaging with partners, not just the simple act of removing pubic hair, right?
2: Right. And so they did um, look at the number of partners that people had. They tried to control for that in the study, Um, but they didn't actually control for a lot of other things that Are the real risk factors for getting STIs mainly um, what types of behaviors people are engaging with with their partners and whether they're using protection in those behaviors? And so Simply number of partners isn't even related to STIs, actually. And so um, we can't say that someone that's had more partners um, necessarily would have more STIs. So just because they can for that doesn't mean that they've actually thought about all of the issues that could be causing that.
1: Yeah. Um, so is there anything specific about the removal, removal of pubic hair that makes it more likely that someone could contract an STI?
2: So there are a lot of things to consider when we're thinking about removing pubic hair. Um, So there's a lot of different, first of all, methods of removing pubic hair. So if we're just talking about basically whether pubic hair is there or not, um, that isn't actually, we don't think, protective or unprotective. Um, But the method of removing pubic hair could have something to do with safety. So um, if we're talking about waxing then there could be small little abrasions that occur when hair is being ripped out of the skin um,
1: so- well right and some people waxing actually causes bleeding right like and if something's going to cause bleeding it's going to certainly make you more susceptible to things that are looking for little cuts to get in like mm-hmm. most bacteria and viruses right
2: right And the same thing for um, shaving, for any chemical hair removers. Both of those could uh, cause any irritation or it could cause little microscopic tears or cuts. Um, And we think that might be true for laser as well, um, though it's also really – we don't have a lot of information about that. But all of – I would say basically all types of hair removal – um, there are some risk to damage to the skin. And damage to the skin means that there's more opportunity for a sexually transmitted infection to get into the body.
1: Mm. So if there's risk associated with all the different kinds of hair removal, what do you think we should be doing? Like, what would be the best kind of harm reduction strategy uh, if people want to have uh, coiffured pubic reason? Uh, pre- pre- <laughs> They want their pubes to look good.
2: (laughs) Well, if you're removing pubic hair, um, I would say to just do it a little bit of an advance of when you're going to be engaging in any type of sexual behaviors. Um, Really just the day before should be fine. So anything, any of these things that might cause these little abrasions or cuts would pretty much be going away within a day. They wouldn't be like large open sore type things that take a long time to heal. So if you're doing any of this, I would say do it the day before you're going to be engaging with something. Or if you have a regular partner, and you are doing any hair removal then I would say just be extra cautious that day or maybe even take a day off um so that you know that you're doing as much as you can to protect yourself
1: Yeah, that sounds great. And I mean, I think something else that we should keep in mind is there's always a lot more that you can be doing with somebody than just genital involvement. There's lots of ways to be sensual. There's lots of ways to be intimate. There's lots of ways to have fun. Um, So if you do have to take a day off, there's lots of other really great options available. Really great
2: yeah and um, so we know that we should always be using um, protection as well and condoms and I think when you and I were chatting about this earlier we you mentioned using female condoms as well
1: oh right so uh, female condoms while a lot of young people don't really use them uh, if they experiment and try uh, they're Almost as effective as the traditional male col- uh, condom, and they cover a lot more of the vulval reason, uh, region or the anus, if you because they're also usable for anal sex, and they offer additional protection for some of those external areas that you wouldn't get from a traditional male condom. Yeah, exactly. That's
2: cool. Yeah, so female condoms, I think um, they are a little harder to use because they do you kind of you put them in first before you start having sex, and whether that's in a uh, vaginal opening or in the anal opening um and I think though it does take a little practice so if that's something you want to try I would try putting it in before you're actually trying to use one uh to have a penetrative sex with a partner um but yeah I think it's a great opportunity to talk about that how the um the opening of the female condom actually lays over some of that outer skin. So it does actually provide a little bit more protection for that skin area. And if hair was just removed from that area, then that is providing that extra little layer of protection there.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, when we're done uh, with our show today, we can post a couple videos about how to appropriately use a female condom too. So you can actually see one in action on a a model.
2: Great idea. We can put that in the show notes.
1: Yeah, it sounds great. Um, so we also have a whole bunch of questions from people, and some of them relate directly to uh, pubic hair. Um, and the first question, and it comes up quite frequently, at least with the students that I interact with them, and they want to know, is waxing a safe practice for the bikini area?
2: Yeah, so we did talk about that a little bit, but um, I would say that, yes, it is pretty safe. I would go to a professional to have it done um instead of trying to do it yourself. I think um, if you're going to a place that has good kind of reviews and it is a clean-looking establishment, you're probably going to be okay. And um, then just uh, if you do get any kind of um, irritated skin, just making sure, again, to wait like we talked about. Um Or even if you don't really notice any irritation, probably waiting until the next day to uh, engage in sexual activity around that area.
1: Yeah, and something that I always tell people, whenever you're having anyone touch your body, it doesn't matter if it's someone who's waxing it or a dentist, make sure that they wash their hands in front of you and wear a pair of gloves that you see them put on before they get started. And if they're waxing, you want to make sure that they're using a fresh stick every single time they dip into that uh, into the wax. Because if they're not doing it for you, they probably didn't do it for the person before you. So there's some things that you can just... Make sure that you're looking at it, uh, that even if it looks clean, make sure that the people who are there are using best practices for your health and safety. Yeah, we're both making funny faces right now. Hey. Only you could see. Uh, yeah, so I think yeah, waxing is overall safe. Just make sure you're getting, going to a safe place to get it done. And then, uh, like Spring said, wait 24 hours afterwards just to make sure all of those potential micro tears have healed up. Yeah. Um, I have another question. um, And this one relates. It's a little bit tangential, but I think it's pretty fun. Um, So uh, the question is, uh, someone said, I have friends, I've had friends get gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes and genital warts, but I've never known a single person other than people in movies or TV shows, who have gotten crabs. What gives?
2: <laughs> so, uh, crabs or pubic lice uh, do still exist in the world. Um, they are a lot less common. And while we don't actually know this to be the case, we suspect that that is because that there's a lot more pubic grooming going on. So, uh grooming of pubic hair does actually kind of go in and out of fashion and what is kind of seen as beautiful in the pubic region changes over time but uh in the past several years it has been uh, more common to have less hair down there and we have seen uh, simultaneously uh, fall in rates of pubic lice. So again, that's one of those things that we can't actually say has caused that. We don't have any research to show that, but uh, we do suspect that is the case.
1: Yeah, it's uh, important it's getting back to the whole idea of cause and effect like we were talking about before with uh, is the removal of pubic hair causing an increase in infections or not? We don't know the actual cause. We just see these things sort of happening and we need to do more research before we can say for sure. Yeah. Um, so I have another question.
0: This is Kelly Clarkson. If you love awesome music, then you also have a soft spot for TV's number one singing competition, The Voice. This season, it'll be bigger and better than ever with Adam Blake, Jennifer Hudson, and the reigning champ, moi. I've won The Voice six times. There is life beyond Blake. I want to be a cowboy. I can do all that too. Yo, turn Blake. Yeah. <laughs> Watch Team Kelly on The Voice. Not to brag, but I am the returning champ. Followed by the premiere of Manifest tonight on NBC.
1: Um, and I think this one, yeah, and, and I have someone who wants to know how often they should be, uh, be tested to see if that they have to see if they have an STI or an STD.
2: So um, the answer to that is really kind of dependent on um, your type of relationships that you're having and the type of partners that you're having, and. Um, I would say anybody that's sexually active should be getting tested at least twice a year. I think that's the kind of uh, minimum baseline to be aiming for. Um, but depending on what types of risk behaviors you might be engaging in, it could be um, up to even four to six times a year. Did you have any advice on that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, it really depends on like, like you said, what you're doing and then the behaviors that you're engaging in with those people. Um, right. So the absolute minimum is, you know, if you are sexually active with a partner, you should be getting tested at least once a year. But if you're sexually active with multiple partners, if you're not always using condoms at all of the different, uh, with all of your partners, you should be getting tested much more frequently. Um, Yeah. So minimum of one time a year, twice a year is preferable. And then if you're out there with multiple partners enjoying your life and enjoying your body, you should get tested more frequently to keep your body safe, right? Because you want your body to be safe for yourself and for other people as well. Um, And then uh, I had a, I have a question for you. Um, So the questions that we've been getting, people are uh, say STI, people say STD. Um, which ones do you think that we should be using? I know what I think. Uh, most people in the sex research field say STI, um, but typically people uh, out in society are saying STD. What do you think, Spring?
2: It's really funny because I was just going to ask you that question. And what's really hilarious is that we didn't talk about that in advance and we didn't plan to talk about that. So I think that is so funny that you're asking me that right now. Um, so, So I think as a little bit of a history lesson, uh, we used to call them STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. And I think it was about almost 20 years ago now, the kind of change went over in the sexual health field to say, we should be calling these STIs, we should be calling these sexually transmitted infections, because that's really what they are. And so there was this big push. And people in the sexual health field have been calling them STIs for quite a while now and trying to get uh, people in the general public to use that term and just recently uh as in the past couple of months i think the cdc came out with a recommendation that's the centers for disease control to stop trying to use stis and just go back to stds because nobody knows what an sti is um the problem i have with that is that i don't know how to say std anymore because i've been saying sti for so long uh (laughs) what is your answer andrew
1: uh, so it, I, I was going to say the same thing, like historically people said STD, but disease is more stigmatized than infection and a disease is something that someone has over their lifespan and an infection is something that you can get and it can come back time and time again um, and uh, i've been trying to train myself since those recommendations came out to say STd and every time I say it, I have this little stop when I read that question a few minutes ago, I had that little stop because the person had ri- written STd and I want to be true to what they're asking. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to retrain myself to say STD, and I still end up saying STI most of the time. But for the purposes of com- for the conversations that we're having, it's exactly the same. They mean the same thing. It's the same uh, bacteria and viruses and protozoas and all the other little friends that we can pick up along the way. Um, yeah, so std because we should just give up on sti because in 20 years it hasn't made it out so 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 for our podcast should we try to say std from now on or are we going to trip up every time
2: i think we'll uh say what we can say because uh i'm a big proponent of having people use words that are comfortable to them so if we have people calling in with questions, they should say whatever terms they like to use. And um, I will accept STD or STI from you, Andrew. Uh,
1: well, I'm hopefully not ever going to be. a uh, No. So this leads perfectly to the next question, because it is how long does it take for STD slash STI? So this person gave us both options to answer. Um, how long does it take for them to show up in a test? So there's a lot of questions about how often people should get tested and then um, how soon can they see results. And I think this uh, question probably comes from, you know, people with pregnancy tests will have unprotected sex one night and then take a pregnancy test the next morning, not realizing that sometimes it takes up to two to three weeks to see those kind of results. Um, And then uh, if we look at STI testing, it's different for different kinds of infections that someone might get. Um, So in general, most of the bacterial infections you won't see for about a week so it takes about a week for you to see those. Um, and then for most of the viral infections, it's going to take uh, several months uh, for or, or, or anywhere from one to three months for you to actually see what it is. And the outlier there is syphilis, which takes about a month as well for a bacterial infection. So anywhere from about a week to a month before someone would see uh, the results. Um and then HIV, finally the the big uh, STI for us to talk about. Um, it takes about one to three months if you're looking for the antibodies. And that's the test that you get. If you get the mouth swab, most of the time you're looking at the antibodies. But there's actually a blood test where you can see um, an infection in about nine to ten days after someone would have uh, come in contact with HIV. Um, and something to keep in mind with all of these: uh, if you ever think that you might be exposed, there's drugs that you can take immediately afterwards that can prevent infections and help you early on. So if you ever think that there's a risk, go to your clinic as soon as you can. Go to Planned Parenthood, Family Clinic, Free Clinic, University Clinic, wherever you are and just get those tests. Talk to someone right away because most of the time, the earlier you start treatment, the less chance there is of any kind of long-lasting damage for any of the various STIs.
2: And I think that to reemphasize that point of getting tested regularly is that Sometimes people only go in when they have what they think is a scare. So they think, oh, maybe that person for some reason they think had some type of infection. So I think that takes us back to knowing your status and getting tested regularly for all of these things so that you are being the safest that you can be.
1: Actually, I just posted a video to my Facebook. Maybe I'll post it to the uh, sex rap Facebook as well. Um, There's a drag queen named Courtney Act. And uh, she had a scare or he had a scare. Um, and he posted the entire journey through his testing and all of the results in an effort to try to destigmatize the whole uh, idea of getting tested. I think there's a lot of people who are afraid of it. They find some kind of bliss and ignorance. Um, but I think it's really important for people to just know uh, what they're doing with their body. Like I said, if you're having fun, that's great. Make sure that you protect your body so you can keep having fun with it.
2: Yeah. And I... Um... I think that another thing that some people don't realize is that you can get infections sometimes even when you're properly using condoms. So condoms are a lot more effective than nothing at preventing sexually transmitted infections. Um, But they are not 100% effective in preventing them. And part of the reason is that they're not covering all of the genital area, and so they're covering a majority of it, um, but there is still genital area exposed, and so sometimes um, STIs are transmitted through the actual uh, genital fluids, but sometimes it's even just genital skin-to-skin contact, for example, like HPV, human papillomavirus, that is actually transmitted through genital skin-to-skin contact. So in that case, a condom would help prevent transmission, but it would not fully prevent transmission. So the condoms are definitely helpful, but also knowing that even if you're completely using condoms correctly, there is still reasons to get regularly tested.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Get tested. And I mean, that's a great question. And it's something that comes up. And there's a lot of people who are afraid. Uh, But the thing that I found is once you get tested, once getting tested, the next time was a lot easier. And then getting tested the third time was even easier. That anxiety goes away. It's that first trip. I still remember mine. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, uh, that's about it for questions today. If you have any questions for us, you can send them to us at sexrap at gmail.com, or you can call them in at 413-I-WRAP-IT. That's 413-497-2748. And we'd be happy to answer them. We'll answer all of them eventually.
2: (laughs) And um, so for the end of our show today, um, I have two things. I have, first of all, um, a super exciting um, coupon code to share with you. So, there is a great little feminist company, and I say little company because it's new and it's growing, but um, it is fantastic, called Lovability. It's L O V A B I L I T Y. Um, so, no E in the Lovability. And they make um, condoms that are easy to open and also very cutely packaged and they also have a lot of other kind of accessory and cute things um, available. And they have a coupon code for our listeners. So you can get 15% off anything that you buy from their store if you use code THE Sex WRAP. So that's all one word, no spaces in there. THE Sex WRAP will get you 15% off anything there. So we would love you to protect yourself and we would love you to support a great new company that's trying to help you do that too.
1: Yeah, and save a little money in the process. Yeah, it's great. Cool. Um, Let's see, so uh, we are now at the period, Uh, we are at the end of our show, Um, and I
2: think Spring
1: has another (laughs) joke for everybody.
2: I didn't write this one, but I do really like uh, silly jokes, and I really like ones that are related to sex, that's kind of my favorite thing. Uh, So, Andrew, why shouldn't you eat your girlfriend's peas?
1: Why shouldn't I eat my girlfriend's peas? There's a lot of problems with this question, but um, I don't know, Spring. Why shouldn't I eat my girlfriend's peas?
2: Because they are her peas.
1: And with that, that's (laughs) the sex wrap for today. So um, email us if you have any questions. At sexwrap at gmail.com. You can call us at 413 i wrap It. We're on Instagram at The Sex Wrap. You can see us at Facebook at The Sex Wrap. You can tweet to us at The Sex Wrap. Whatever you do, just wrap us. Thanks,
2: everybody. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just too. Af- blah, 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 blah. This is Kelly Clarkson. If you love awesome music, then you also have a soft spot for TV's number one singing competition, The Voice. This season, it'll be bigger and better than ever with Adam Blake, Jennifer Hudson, and the reigning champ, moi. I've won The Voice six times. There is life beyond Blake. I want to be a cowboy. I can do all that too. Yo, turn, Blake. Yeah. <laughs> Watch Team Kelly on The Voice. Not to brag, but I am the returning champ. Followed by the premiere of Manifest tonight on NBC.